But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing to the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But we have food and clothing. We will be content with that. Those who get rich fall into temptation and trap, and into many foolish and humble desires. The plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Man, since we're thanking everybody today, would you thank Zeke for reading that scripture for us today? <clears throat> all right. I don't need this. So um, there's an author. His name is Leo Tolstoy. And uh, he was a Russian guy, and uh, he's a prolific writer. He uh, wrote a story once about a rich peasant named Pahom, P-A-H-O-M. And uh, the story that he wrote about this guy, the, the actual story was called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? How Much Land Does a Man Need? Now, years later, there was a, a Russian realist painter named uh, Arkady Plastov, and he painted two really powerful images of this story. And so you'll see the first image right here. The story goes like this. So Pahom, uh, he's never satisfied. He always wants more. There's got, to be, uh, there's got to be more land to have. There's got to be more material possessions to have. There's got to be more influence to be had. So Pahom, he's just never satisfied. He goes through this whole life just not satisfied at all at all. And then all of a sudden, one day, there's this opportunity that comes before him, and it's this. These people approach him and say, if you will give us 1,000 rubles, this is in Russia, you give us 1,000 rubles, you can walk our land, and you can have, if, if you can walk that land and get back by the end of the day, you can have all of the land that your feet touches. Okay. And so he's like, this is too good of a, a deal to pass up. I mean, this is this plays right into his hand, his desire is to always have more. And so he decides to take up the challenge. He gives this group of people this thousand rubles. And then in the morning, the next day, he wakes up, sun crests over the hill, and he takes off. He just starts running. He's got a spade, and he's marking off the land and, and all kinds of different stuff, and he's going and going. And sure enough, as soon as he would crest a hill, he'd see more. He's like, oh, I can't turn around yet. I've, I've got to get further and get further. And so, oh, that section has a stream and a little grove of tree. I mean, so it was just always this, they just played right into his hand. I mean, he was super excited. So he's going, he's going, he's going all day long. He's running and he's trying to get as much as he can. And sure enough, as soon as he'd see more, he'd want more. And then finally, the sun starts going the other direction. And he realizes, okay, if I don't hoof it, I'm really going to miss out on this deal. Because one of the rules was, if he does not cross back the line that he started at by the time the sun goes down, not only does he not get any of the land, he loses his thousand rubles. So he's got to make it back before the sun goes down. And so he realizes he's in trouble, and so he just sprints. He begins running, 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 running. And then finally, at the very last second, he dives across the line. And he's just laying there in the ground. And you can see the next picture. His servant walks up and realizes that he's dead. He's dead. And so at the end of the entire story, Tolstoy 
he answers the question that's been posed by the title of the story, how much land does a man need? And the line in the, in the story is six feet. From his head to his heels was all he needed. Aren't you glad you came to church today? This is like the most fun family Sunday. So uplifting. There you go, children. <laughs> so today we conclude this series called More. More. Uh, it's been presented on this premise that when it comes to money, when it comes to money and finances, for most people, the answer is more. If we have financial issues, if we have money struggles, and if I just had more, then I wouldn't have those struggles. Now, sometimes we make uh, generalized statements, that, that, you know, kind of blanket statements, and, and I get that everybody has different circumstances that we face. So, you know, there's some leeway here, but generally speaking, for a lot of people, the answer is really not more money. The answer is more stewardship. How are we handling what God has placed into our life? How are we managing those things? And uh, we've talked about all kinds of different stuff. We've gone through making sure we get God's perspective when it comes to finances and, and where they come from and, and why God has them in our lives. So it's gaining really a, a biblical perspective of finances. But then secondarily is making sure we have the right priority when it comes to finances. I mean, if God is going to put these things into our lives, have we made a priority out of managing those things well and doing what we need to be doing? And then last week was this glorious Sunday where we talked about debt and, uh, and we talked about what does it mean to have peace? It means not becoming a slave then to a financial situation and, and what that looks like. Today we're talking about purpose. Now to be real honest with you, I might have just a little bit of OCD and so I love the fact that those four words start with a P Instead of purpose, it probably should be misplaced purpose, but because I'm stubborn, it still says purpose on your screen, okay? It should say probably misplaced purpose because you and I live in a world, we live in a nation, frankly, um, where value is tied to our financial status. Our socioeconomic status is, uh, it, it dictates what advertisements you see and what advertisements you don't see. It dictates all kinds of different things. Our value, to a certain extent, is inherently tied to our financial status. It was no different really in Jesus' day. It's just really, really obvious today. We live in a pay-to-play world. That's just a fact. We live in a pay-to-play world, and sometimes that even bleeds into this church. the church. It's, it, you know, it's the idea that you know, the more you give, the more influence you should have, the more you gain, all kinds of different things. That's just kind of the way the world works. And the problem is, with so much of our purpose in life, our value in life tied to financial status, it's really easy to become discontent. Really easy to think that the answer is more of something to gain contentment and peace in our lives, to look at financial resources specifically for this series as a way to find contentment. That, that somehow, if I can get more, I will finally have contentment. Thus, misplacing the purpose of those resources in our lives. Are you following me there? That's not the purpose of those things. You see, as Paul was writing what Zeke read earlier, he's writing to this really young guy, Timothy, he's brand new in ministry. And what he's doing in this passage is he's really hitting on something when he uses the word contentment. He's kind of attacking an idea. 
And there it is. It's in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me say it again. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we're going to take nothing out of it. Okay? But your birthday suit. All right? That's, that's, it didn't say that's the RBD version. So, but that's, that's basically what it comes down to is, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so what Paul did when he said that was he made a disconnect. He disconnected contentment with resource. He disconnected contentment, the idea that we can be content with in our lives, from resources, from finances. He broke the connection between financial status and purpose in our life. And so when we have God's perspective and when we have God's priority when it comes to financial matters in our lives, when it comes to finances, we will experience peace because we're not going to get into trouble and these resources will serve their true purpose in our lives. The purpose of the resources that God places in your life is not to bring you contentment. The purpose is for the building of the kingdom. The building of the kingdom. Now, it's really easy to pick on finances here. And I've said this every single Sunday, I'll say it again probably a couple more times before we're done today. This is not a sermon on money. These are not messages about money. That's not what this is about. It's not an issue of more money. It's an issue of more stewardship. And stewardship is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's really easy to pick on finances here, but our search for contentment runs so deep. Your desire to find contentment and peace is so ingrained and embedded in your heart that we will seek out all kinds of different ways to satisfy that discontentment, okay? For example, there's a guy named Craig Rochelle. Craig Rochelle, uh, he's the pastor of Life Church. It's in Oklahoma. And he wrote a book a couple years ago, a really great book called Hashtag Struggles. Hashtag Struggles. Uh, it is a really, really good book. I'd encourage you to check it out. It's written to examine the effect of technology, not just on our relationship with God, but on our relationship with other people. And it's really interesting. It's really revealing. The reality is this. For the first time in human history, for the first time in human history, you and I actually right now have a way to measure our value compared to the value of other people. You can measure today your value to the value of other people. When I was growing up, you could figure out what your value was by where you sat in the cafeteria or by what order you were picked when you were getting picked for a kickball team, okay? You kind of understood what your value was at that point. Now, it's called likes. It's called followers, okay? So you can look at other people's value as well. You can pick up your phone and you can scroll And you can see, okay, they got that many likes on their profile picture, but man, look at how many I got on mine. Look at how many I got on mine. You can judge value right now in real time. If they have more followers than you or more likes on their vacation pics, oh man, what what do they have that I don't? What does she have that I don't? My pic gets 30 likes. Theirs get like triple digits. What's wrong with me? And all of a sudden, what happens is we become discontent, discontent. And we start believing that everybody else's life is so much better. They have so much more than I do, and the end result is discontentment. Now, 
it's easy to berate social media, plus this is a series about stewardship, right? Finances and, you know, all that kind of different stuff. What does this have to do with it? Well, social media and money actually share a very common characteristic. They're amoral. I mean, they just are what they are. There's no morality to those two things. There's only what we ascribe and give them permission to do. If I took a dollar bill out today, that dollar bill is meaningless until I put some purpose behind what I might use it for. And you and I both know that dollar bill can be used in bad ways and good ways. Same thing with social media. It can be used in good ways and bad ways. They're amoral, okay? They don't have a morality in and of themselves. It's what we do with them. It just reveals what's in our hearts, ultimately. What's in our hearts. And if our hearts are discontent, my experience is we tend to ex- attempt to appease that discontent many times poorly, poorly. So in the book, really quickly, I just thought, at the end of this series, I thought it might be good just to kind of look at these three things really quick. He highlights, Grishel highlights, at least three areas where discontentment begins to kind of cause us to distort the purpose of the things that God has placed into our lives, to misuse those things for the wrong purpose. And the first is when we become financially or materially discontent. Materially, financially discontent. So one day you're scrolling through Instagram or whatever, you see, ah, Steve got a new car. Then you look at your car. Then you look at Steve's car, it's a nice car. Then you kind of realize, I don't know if I like Steve anymore. Man, why does Steve get a nice car? I mean, I still have a payment on this piece of junk, and, and look at what Steve's driving around now. And sometimes you get a little discontent, you get a little agitated towards somebody. Or that girl, you know, she posts this selfie, that, that lady, she posts a selfie. And what you notice about the selfie is not necessarily her, although she's all glammed up and everything, but you realize in, she's actually posted the selfie because she really wants you to see what's going on behind her. And so you're looking at her house behind her, and it's like Pinterest threw up and just... And it's just little lovely sayings and everything's color coordinated and clean. You can smell the potpourri through the picture and it's just perfect and glorious. And then it looks like a dryer threw up in your room. It looks, you know, it looks like a horrific mess. And you're thinking, man, what in the world? Or you see their vacation pics. This family, oh my word, do they even have jobs? This is like the third vacation they've taken this year. I have three jobs. I'm trying to make the ends meet, right? And you're looking at this family. All they do is go on vacation. You're thinking, why can't that be me? What's going on? And all of a sudden you become disconnected. Have you ever experienced this? Maybe I'm just the only one. I don't know. But have you ever experienced that? Is it possible, now follow me here, is it possible that discontentment can sometimes cause us to be less than faithful in our financial stewardship? Mm, look at what everybody else is enjoying and I need to enjoy that too. And so I can skimp or I can do this or I can cut this corner or I can extend myself a little too far. Then I get in a trap. Okay, There's all those different things. Now, like I said, this series isn't about money and so that's why I really appreciate this hashtag struggles book because it doesn't just focus on that. He talks about another one, relationally discontent. I'm going to tell you something. This one can get scary fast really fast. You see on Facebook that there's a get-together, and your best friend was at the get-together. 
and they have pictures, and they were all out having a good time, and then you read the comment thread, and you realize there's some inside jokes that you weren't a part of because you weren't invited, and your best friend went and did these things with this group of other people, and you start thinking, man, I, I got left out, or you see the video of a couple's wedding, and it's just, it's, it's a constant reminder that, man, I'm still here waiting. I, it's the desire of my heart to be married, but for some reason, it's not happening for me. And you just, your discontentment begins to grow. And so you get a little desperate. Maybe you rush a relationship. You start looking at a relationship to do things for you that a relationship was never intended to do. Or maybe you're scrolling again, and some lady, she posts about how wonderful her husband is. And how he's, she's got a shot of him cooking and holding the baby at the same time. And he's just doing these amazing things. And he changes diapers. And I don't know what I would do without him. And it's just glorious. And then you look at your husband. I mean, he showered yesterday, which is good. Okay? So you got some points there. All right? So all of a sudden, why, you know, you become discontent. And I mentioned this one can get kind of scary quickly. I've literally, I've watched people trash relationships. I've watched it in real time. Trash relationships or rush relationships, all because of discontentment. They're just not content in their life. And somehow they have this idea that if I could just get that relationship, if I could just have the relationship I see other people having, then somehow that discontentment will be satisfied in my life. I will become content. Listen, your relationships with other people were never meant to be the source of your contentment in life. And I just said that out loud. I mean, I love my wife, but if I'm complete, if, if you know, and I get Tom Cruise did the whole you complete me and you know, all that kind of different stuff, and it's fun to have those emotional feelings, you know, and, all, and I get that. You know, if, if I lost Shelly, there'd be a part of me. I feel like that would be gone. But if she is the sole source of whether or not I'm content in my life, that's called codependency. That's a whole different ballgame. Because all of a sudden, if she doesn't start lining up a certain way, I mean, if ultimately I'm depending on my wife to be the sole source of contentment in my life, do you know what that makes her? A slave to me. That's not fun. That's not a relationship. Okay? I love you, babe. I really do. But if you're, I hope you're not looking at me to be your sole source of contentment because we all know that ain't going to happen. I'll try. I'll try real hard. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Sometimes we ask things to do. We misappropriate the purpose of why God has put certain things into our lives just because we're discontent. We want something to satisfy us in a certain way. The final one that he talks about here uh, is this. When we become circumstantially discontent, which isn't a whole lot different than the first two, but I'll be honest, in a moment of honesty, this one is actually mine. This is, this, is the one that, um, this is the one that gets me. Sometimes I'll see, and again, Facebook, glorious Facebook, you scroll and you, you find a friend, maybe as a friend I had in college, and their trajectory in life has like far exceeded where I am. And you start looking at something like that and you're like, man, did I miss the boat somewhere? Have you ever experienced that where you see somebody who, there's a, I have a friend, a really good friend, who's a couple, few years younger than me, he just finished the rough draft on two books, not one, because, you know, two, two books that are about to get published. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, man, Rich, you suck. What, what in the world have you been doing with your life that you've not written three books? 
at this point in your life? Have you not accomplished anything in your life? And all of a sudden you start looking at people and you're comparing these circumstances and you start feeling discontent. Get discontent. Now, I made a joke there, but and most of you didn't laugh, that's okay, but for, for, for some, the circumstances are worse, okay? The circumstances are more tragic. Um, it does not take us very long to look at the filtered life of other people and become discontent with our unfiltered reality around us. It's very easy to do. And soon, sometimes we resent those people, don't we? Sometimes. Sometimes we resent God because that's not the hand that we've been dealt. And it reveals our discontentedness. Now, those are the three that he identifies in that book, and maybe you can relate to one of those, but, but ultimately, when we are discontent, we will seek a way to appease that discontentment. We will seek out something, and unfortunately, we tend to look at the things that God does place into our lives, our talent, our resources, our relationships, all those things, and we begin to expect contentment from those things in ways that are unhealthy. It just doesn't work. It's counterfeit. We assign a purpose to things they were never meant to fulfill, all for the purpose of satisfying our discontentment. Now, I've kind of painted a negative picture here, okay? So let's talk about the good news, all right? Uh, the good news is that you can learn to be content. You really can. Uh, and briefly, I just want to talk about what that looks like, and I want to talk about it from the life of the Apostle Paul, okay? Now, Paul... Um, Paul's a really good example of this. We're going to be talking about Paul a lot in the next four weeks as we go through the This Is My Story series that starts next week. But Paul, whenever I start having a pity party for myself, um, usually there's only one person in attendance at that party. And, uh, but whenever I have a pity party for myself, something doesn't go the way I think it should or, you know, boo-hoo, whatever. Um, God has this unique way of continually bringing me back to passages that the Apostle Paul has written in the New Testament, specifically to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was screwed up. They were a mess. And so Paul, he didn't just write them one, he wrote them two letters uh, because they just weren't getting it. And, uh, and in it, he really addresses, you know, where are they finding the source of their hope and strength? It can't be in them. It's got to be in something else. And he actually points to himself as an example at one point. And whenever, again, I'm throwing a pity party for myself, God seems to bring me back to particularly this passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. Now, this is Paul writing to them to kind of set a stage here, an example. He says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Okay, so the, there was a law that said you couldn't be lashed 40 times. So they were just so conveniently, they would only do it 39. All right. Five times that happened to him. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from those things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Okay, so 
I haven't, nor will I likely, ever have the opportunity to suffer persecution and circumstances like Paul did. And yet, if you read the rest of the New Testament, you never get a sense that Paul is discontent. You never get that sense. In fact, what you get is the opposite. If there was anybody other than Jesus who should have had the opportunity to express their discontent in life, it was Paul. It was Paul. And yet you never see that. And you have to ask why. You have to ask why that is. And thankfully, there's actually another passage that Paul wrote that I think gives the answer and explains where this contentment comes from. Now, I'm going to set it up because that makes a big difference. The next thing that I'm going to read for you, I want you to keep in mind that he wrote this while he's on the ground, on just on probably wet stone, chained in a Roman prison because he would not shut up about Jesus. So the only thing they could do is arrest him and chain him up and throw him into a Roman prison. Okay, so here he is, he's chained, and in one of those circumstances where you could be like, okay, Paul, right now it'd be okay if you started whining a little bit. It would make me feel better about all the times that I whine if you would just do it too. Please, just start whining. Instead he's like, you know what, there's this church in Philippi that really needs some encouragement right now. Who's got a paper and a, a pen? He's like, I'm going to write a letter of encouragement to my friends at Philippi. He's not a normal human being. Normal people do not do that. Normal people whine about their circumstance and their situation. They, they, they cry about it, okay? Not Paul. Paul's like, I'm chained up, so I might as well take advantage of the time, all right? So he decides to write this to the Philippians in chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Okay, right there at the beginning, the guy's in need. It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens when he says, I can do all things, that's more than just, we love to use that verse when it comes to like, God's going to help us win a football game, okay? I can do all things through him who strengthens means I can find contentment in all things because my contentment is found in the right thing, in the right thing. Paul's secret, Paul's secret, the secret to contentment is found in, not in what I have or don't have. True contentment, true peace is found in Christ and Christ alone. Amen? It's in Christ and Christ alone, alone. And what I want you to know at the end of this series, and again, I know I joke around it and stuff and, and all kinds of different stuff because it's just awkward and, and so am I. But the bottom line is I, I really am grateful for you hanging with me in these four messages. This is, this is hard stuff to talk about and it's hard stuff to hear about and like we've talked about, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with talking about finances in the life of a church. You guys are rock stars, okay? What I would want you to know here at the end of this series is that you can get all the material stuff. You can get it all. You can get the approval of others. You can get the likes, the follows. You can, 
keep acquiring all of the experiences in life so that when you post those things and people look at your experiences, they just think, man, why can't we be more like those people? They have it all. They have it all. You can do that, but until you find your life centered completely, completely on Jesus Christ, you will always want more. You will always lack contentment. There will always be a reason for you to be discontent if you search for contentment in any place other than Jesus. Other than Jesus. This world is not your home. Therefore, it will never afford you the contentment and the peace that you need. It will never, no matter how hard you work for it, no matter how far you run. That discontentment, unfortunately then, will tempt you to repurpose the things that God does place into your life, like relationships, like finances, and cause you to, to try to use those things to appease that. And it will never work because it will never be enough. It will never be enough. There is something in us that knows that we need it. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. I love that passage. Can I tell you what it means? It means God has put something in your heart that knows that there is more. There's a hunger in your heart that God has placed there. He's also met that hunger through Jesus. Okay. The problem is when we try to satisfy that hunger in other ways. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We're wired to want more. The question is, how are we going to satisfy that? What are we going to do? You were born for more. Born for more. Until you let Christ be all that you need, you're always going to be tempted. Always. To meet that discontentment with something that will never satisfy. Uh, you remember Pahom from the Tolstoy story? The truth is, you don't run through life trying to gain all you can unless you're trying to satisfy some kind of discontentment. You don't do that. You don't do that. Some void you're trying to fill. In the end, what does it lead to? These are the words of Jesus, not me. Mark 8, 36. For what does it gain a man, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Folks, that's why a series like this is never about money. Ever ever, ever. It's about stewardship, and stewardship is a matter of the heart. And so let me ask you today, how's your heart? How is your heart? Where is your heart today? What are you seeking to satisfy the discontent in your heart? The good news today is that God has done everything for us through Jesus. He meets our deepest need. Your deepest need and my deepest need is not a financial one, it's not a health one. It's not any of those things. We have a sin issue. We have a brokenness in our heart that causes some of that desire to meet that discontent in the wrong way. Have any of you tried to meet that discontentment in the wrong way other than me? Okay. We try to do it. That reveals the sin in our lives and in our heart. But Christ came. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin so that you and I don't have to. If we will give him our lives, and I know that this, this is a scary prospect. I mean, if, if you're here today and you've never walked across that line and, and put your whole trust 
in Jesus Christ for your life? There's that little aspect that's kind of like, you know, what's he going to ask me to do? What's he going to ask me to do? Can I just tell you, I'm so, I, I have zero regrets about saying yes to Jesus. The things that he's asked me to do are so beyond my wheelhouse, and somehow God manages to pull it off anyway, and you get to be a part of the ride. It's an absolutely amazing journey. Absolutely amazing to see what God can do when you finally just let go and you give it all to him. And you give it all to him. I want to encourage you to do that unapologetically. Today, next week, the week after that, you're going to be afforded several opportunities to give everything over to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you to start today. So I'm going to pray. And if you're at a place right now where you realize, you know, I, I've never walked across that line, I'm going to pray right now. You can pray what, what I pray right where you're seated. We're not going to have you come up. We're not going to play any music. We're just going to pray. And uh, you may be at a place right now where you realize, man, there are some areas that I've just not turned over. Man, conform this prayer to, to be your prayer today. But uh, can I pray for you today? And I want to encourage you to follow me in this prayer. Father, I come before you today. And I know that my heart has sought to satisfy some needs and desires in ways that are contrary to you. Father, I admit that there's sin in my life. I'm discontent. And the things that I've tried in this world to satisfy that discontentment haven't worked. But Father, I believe today that you sent your son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sin so that I might be filled with contentment today. That I may be free of the debt of sin in my life so that I can experience real life today and for eternity. So I accept your gift of forgiveness for my sin today. And I put my full trust in Jesus Christ. And while I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, I trust you today. That you love me enough for your son to die for me. Help me to love you back and to give you my trust. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand so I can pray for all of us? Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. And uh, Father, while our hearts cry for more all of the time, may they always cry for more from you. Help us to turn to you in our time of need. Help us. Father, to turn to you in our, our time of, of needing comfort, reassurance. Father, help us help every single person uh, online right now and every single person in this room to get their sense of self-worth from you and you alone. Every single one of us has been created in the image of God, regardless of what anybody has said about us, done to us, done with us, whatever we have done to anybody else. We are created in the image of God and it's your desire that you would restore the image of Jesus Christ in all of us. And Father, you do that for one reason. You love us. 
and you desire that in that process you might be glorified. So uh, help us to participate with that. Help us to give ourselves to you fully. And Father, as we march forward with a desire in our hearts to be good stewards, would you uh, open our eyes, Father, to see how you're already working those things out in our own lives and help us to accept the challenge to be good stewards. We love you. We praise you. It is in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online today. Have a fantastic week.